Welcome to the Humble Hoof Podcast. My name is Alicia Harlov. This is a podcast for both horse owners and hoof care professionals, offering discussions into various philosophies on the health of the hoof and soundness of your horse. Please check us out on Facebook or at thehumblehoof.com. I have had a few podcast episodes with veterinarians, physiotherapists, or hoof care professionals that rehab horses at veterinary hospitals or rehab facilities. Something I hear a lot from owners is that often they are required to try to rehab various lameness issues at home. They either don't have rehab facilities near them, or the board in rehab is just too cost prohibitive, which is completely understandable in many cases. Often we've spent thousands of dollars simply diagnosing a lameness and then are left with trying to figure out how to proceed forward and afford treatment. Sometimes these are horses where we have tried a lot of different options and they just still aren't comfortable. Often they're already on a great diet as recommended by previous episodes on nutrition and the owner is doing what they think they should be for rehab, but the horse still isn't making the progress we want to see for comfort. A friend of mine, Ann Ramsey, works on rehab horses at their own properties. I asked her if she would be willing to chat a bit about what that looks like for an average horse owner and how to build a team of professionals to help with a successful rehab at home or at your boarding barn. So you had talked about maybe talking a little bit about at-home rehab? Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to talk about basically how they're just... There are actually a lot of little rehabs happening all the time in home barns, like anything from, you know, my horse all of a sudden is consistently not picking up the right lead canter. You know, I can't really, we can't really see a lameness necessarily. And, you know, my trainer, we've tried all these things. The horse isn't lame, but, you know, is there some something you could come out and check or look at? And then we kind of work through that problem together I kind of help facilitate that usually like bringing in vets and then looking at the feet sometimes just consulting with the farrier that works on the horse I make it a point that I don't take over shoeings of horses because that's actually not that helpful you know what I mean so we will work with the farrier sometimes I meet horses through their feet and then we go through the whole horse and sometimes I meet horses for a problem with their body and then we end up working on their feet but it's basically like a just a process and most families can afford that whereas a lot of families you know they're not going to be able to send and their horse isn't like a performance horse or it's not an investment for them it's just a family member and and they can't necessarily send their horse to those fabulous facilities you know where you go on the treadmill and but you know you don't need to necessarily if you're committed and you have a stopwatch and a good footed arena you can do a lot of this at home Yeah. So how did you get started on all this? Where did you learn how to do all this rehab? I graduated from Cal Poly in 2006. And so I have a bachelor's degree in animal science and my concentration was in equine science. I went to the Animal Rehab Institute where I got my equine rehabilitation certification in 2012. And Somewhere in there, I had begun uh, trimming and shoeing horses. So today, that's that's really what I focus on is in-home rehabilitation of horses, either through their feet or through their body. Yeah. And how do owners connect with you? How do they usually end up finding you? So horses usually come to me in one of two channels. Either they're having a, a foot problem that we then address and then 
we usually end up working our way through the whole horse or it's the reverse horses will come in because they're having a performance problem or they suffered an injury to their body and because i am a farrier we usually end up evaluating their hoof care and probably making some changes and i usually do that by working as a team with the current farrier i'm really not interested in taking over shoeing from farriers when i'm working in this context i'm not sure that that helps horses in general i think it's much better if we work together and maybe both of us leave with some new information. But because I do a lot of composite shoeing using dental impression orthotics, that's usually something that I share with the current farrier and we use that frequently to help horses. Yeah. And so what is probably like one of the most common pathologies or issues that you come to if somebody contacts you? Well, I think I have sort of garnered the reputation of being good at uh, working with navicular horses. I certainly try my hardest to <laughs> to succeed at it. Navicular is very humbling. But there are a lot of caudal heel pain horses that are out and they're working. Horses are very good at sort of disguising front-end bilateral lameness, and they do that a lot with their neck and compensating with their hind legs. So usually what we end up doing is working on the feet, getting the horse's balance and mechanics in a better place, getting that horse more comfortable. And then I usually start investigating other structures. So I'll pull in veterinarians that I work with routinely who specialize in things like ultrasound or x-ray of more complicated structures like the neck or the back. So we sort of start below and work our way up. But a lot of horses that have bilateral forelimb lameness are going to ultimately have problems with their neck. So I'm I'm usually doing body work on the horse. We're working on the feet and we're sort of going through the horse and getting things diagnosed and, and treated as we go. And it, it works well. One thing I'm always interested in and want to help owners understand too is things to look for upon initially evaluating a horse's movement when meeting the horse. Since Anne has a background in body work as well, I asked her to tell me a bit about what she looks for when she sees a new client horse move for the first time. Yeah, so when you come to a new case, what do you usually do like the first thing when you see the horse? Is there something that you ask the owner to do in terms of assessment? Sure. Yeah. Um, what I usually do, assuming that the horse is not lame, if a horse is lame, then I I really won't work on it until that lameness has been worked up by a vet. And I do that for a couple of reasons. One, I think it's unethical to do body work or any kind of consulting on a horse that hasn't seen a veterinarian when it really needs veterinary care. So that's the first and foremost thing that's important. If the horse is not head bobbing lame, but the owner is reporting sort of a performance problem or like a new behavioral issue, I will come out and, and look at that horse and probably do a little bit of light body work on it. I usually leave the first appointment referring the horse to a vet so that we can start investigating. But yeah, I watch the horse being ridden. I like to watch the horse being tacked up. And that's because the equipment very frequently is ill-fitting. Saddles very frequently are ill-fitting and can cause horses a lot of problems. 
I look at their feet. I do a, a body work assessment where I sort of palpate some of their muscles and some of their structures, particularly the epaxial muscles, which are the top line of the horse. I go through each limb and sort of do a basic assessment of their range of motion. And I take a detailed history of that horse's career and what their current work schedule is. So I do as much investigating as I can to get a clear picture of that horse and then make a plan that's going to facilitate that animal getting good care. And then I usually request that we have a veterinarian involved. Something I've really taken away from the last few interviews for the podcast is the importance of body work. Oftentimes, sore feet can cause a myriad of compensation issues in the soft tissue and muscling over the body, and hearing Anne mention some of the correlations made me realize just how helpful bodywork can be during rehab. Yeah, and say you find an issue, how do you determine mm-hmm. if the primary cause is a hoof issue where, you know, composite shoeing or trimming or something would help, or if it's a body issue that's causing a hoof issue, or do you really bring the veterinarian in to sort of help with that diagnostic? Yeah, so I would say that it works both ways. So a lot of the vets that I work with routinely will bring me in because they'll say, hey, I think there's a a farrier issue here, or I think this horse would benefit from some body work. And I, I try to do the same thing. It's about honing a skill set. And after 15 years, you know, I've, I've seen a few thousand horses. So you start to get a sense of where the primary issue might be. And you can make suggestions that are then followed up on. I tend to do what most farriers do with feet. I come out and I assess the caudal foot. I look at the digital cushion, the lateral cartilages. I look at the overall balance of the foot. I might use hoof testers. And if I can make a horse sore by using my thumb in their caudal foot area or using hoof testers in the toe and just assessing the general balance, then that usually is enough of a clue that I'll want to investigate what's going on with the feet. And I'm pretty keen on using x-rays for farrier films and so we'll start there and again when you do this job for a long period of time you start to realize that certain things go together for instance if a horse has negative palmer angles in the hind limb then i know when i palpate the whole pelvic limb and the croup the si area the medial glute, I'm going to find some soreness in those muscles and in those joints within the reciprocal apparatus of the hind leg. So what I'll usually do is say, hey, let's make a plan to get these uh, feet x-rayed so that we can really accurately correct the negative palmar angle. And then once the veterinarian is involved, then I'll begin some body work. And once the horse is, is sound and, and better able to work, then we'll work with targeted conditioning exercises. So really bringing the horse back into work, getting that horse into a safe and secure work routine. It's consistent and stable. So that's usually what ends up happening. Yeah. And I think what you do is so great because I, I don't know many of my own clients that would be able to send their horses either to a veterinary hospital to do, you know, some intensive rehabilitation there or a, you know, specific rehab boarding type facility. 
And I am always trying to find ways to better rehab horses in their own home environment. Do you find that this is, you know, just as successful in the approach that you take as opposed to like sending them off somewhere? You know, absolutely. I have been to large equine rehabilitation facilities and they're they're incredible. The work that they're able to do with horses there with swimming, putting horses on the treadmill, on the water treadmill. It's wonderful stuff, but it it is out of the reach of I would say most families who have a horse that they ride and love and even really require some serious performance out of their horses. I mean, I I know a lot of people who ride and compete in three-day eventing, people that do high-level dressage and show jumping. So people in in middle-class families are still doing a lot with their horse, still requiring a lot of their horse, but it's on a smaller budget. And so rehabilitating your horse at home by gathering a group of professionals to work as a team is very effective. I think you get just as good a result and it's obviously less stressful for the horse in some ways. They get to stay in their own home environment. So I, I think it works really well. It's a very good option. And the other thing I would say is that rehabilitation is kind of a broad term. There are a lot of little rehabilitations going on in horse barns all the time. Sometimes horses go through short-term periods of lameness, gets worked up, diagnosed, and then the horse returns to work. Sometimes horses are just having a more minor problem. They may need their their saddle reflocked, and that will fix kind of a, a smaller, maybe performance issue that they're having when there isn't really anything structurally wrong. The horse is just really uncomfortable. So there are lots of rehabilitations going on all the time. And obviously, every situation you come to is different. So it's hard to say, you know, in terms of this podcast episode, like what is a path that you would take to rehab your horse? You know, because there's every single horse is an individual. Are there things that you require of owners that they have to do in order to be successful because they're taking on that rehab sort of themselves within that team? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. The owner is really the key to success for the horse. And there is a procedure, kind of an order of operations to having a successful rehabilitation. And there really are a few mistakes that I see owners make. I've thought a lot about why this happens. And I think some of it may be like a fear of initially getting a veterinarian involved because they're afraid of maybe what they believe the costs might be. So frequently I'll, I'll see owners that will have a problem with their horse and they'll call someone like me and say, hey, can you come out and do some body work on my horse? I really want to start there. And then if that doesn't help, maybe I'll move on to involving a vet. And it's sort of one of my, I guess one of my pet peeves because I don't think that the horse is necessarily served so well by that order of operations. And it also turns out to not be that cost effective because body workers and chiropractors and people who do that kind of myofascial work or skeletal postural work with horses, they don't necessarily have the training or the diagnostic tools available to be able to look inside the horse's body and get real answers. So all of those techniques are really, I feel, much more effective in the context of 
a working and real diagnosis of the horse. So I would say that that the success of a rehab is involving practitioners in sort of an order of operations. And that, that would be veterinarian first with good diagnostics, followed by checking of the teeth, the feet, the tack and equipment, and then adding those providers on afterwards. And that's the best way to actually save the most money because you'll have the answer more readily available and you won't be spending time sort of spinning your wheels with an underlying issue that's not being diagnosed. So that's really what I require of owners and being consistent in following the exercise protocols, following the protocols given by the vet, given by uh, me and following through with checking the saddle fit, checking the teeth, having the teeth worked on. The owner is really the key factor in whether that horse is going to succeed and get better or not. Right. Yeah. And I know obviously where you are, you have a probably a list of people that you can recommend in terms of veterinarians or other people that you can work with to help that horse through the rehab. But if you're, you know, like say you're giving advice to somebody elsewhere in the country or in the world, how can that owner be sure that their team is a solid team that's going to do the best or make the best choices in that situation? Is there any advice that you have for picking a team to work on your horse? That's a really good question. You know, there are people who sort of have a knack or a talent for a specific kind of work. Some horses need different kinds of care. For example, the kind of body work that I do is a little bit more coming from the perspective of, let's say, a physical therapist. I'm not a physical therapist, but my training was sort of of that ilk. But there are other kinds of modalities like craniosacral body work or chiropractic care. And so horses are going to succeed with someone that specializes in what's bothering that horse in particular. And then also amongst farriers, there are people who really specialize in performance horseshoeing. And that's a really different Uh, in my view, type of work than therapeutic horseshoeing. The goals are different and the tactics and applications are different. And then when we're talking about veterinarians, there are some veterinarians who really, really focus on internal medicine, who really specialize in treating horses with diseases, horses that have colic. And then there are horses that specialize in lameness and veterinarians that have very sensitive feel for subtle lamenesses in a horse. And so one of the things that I try to do if I'm sort of the first person on the scene is try to help that client find that team of people that's going to really help their horse. So that's sort of what I do. But if you ask around, and usually if you ask people that live in the area, who is really gifted at lameness? Who's really gifted in subtle lameness diagnostics? Who's the best performance horse farrier? Who's the best at therapeutic shoeing? You're going to come up with some good answers. The horse communities are pretty tight and we like to help each other. So um, I would say getting some good referrals is is going to be your best bet. Yeah, I, I agree that a lot of us around the world will try to connect owners with people that can help them. I mean, nobody's nobody wants to see a, a rehab, you know, struggle. So we're going to try to help each other where we can. And do you have a 
a time frame or timeline when you come to see a horse? Do you say, okay, we're going to work on this for X amount of months, or this might take this long? What usually happens in terms of timelines, uh, I have a timeline for myself when it comes to working on therapeutic shoeings that I'll give myself three shoeing cycles to sort of really evaluate, is this horse making progress? And that's where pain science gets involved as well, because pain, if it's been prolonged in an animal, is not something that's necessarily going to go away in an instant, especially if it's been lingering for years. It may take that horse at least two cycles, uh, maybe three, to really start making some, some progress. I like to see initially the horse walk off better than they were when they came in or the same. But what we'll do is we'll monitor that horse and just try to achieve these goals. And if something isn't working, then we often go back in and do radiographs again um, just to see what's going on with the hoof capsule. I have done a previous episode talking about working with veterinarians, but as you can tell in the next section with Anne, working with a vet on the feet can be incredibly helpful in making progress and soundness. Yeah, I was going to ask, you know, sometimes when, like, as a healthcare provider, I'll try something on the feet and the horse might take some time to adjust to it. And how do you decide? So do you usually give it three cycles of something different that you're doing with the feet to see if that helps with, you know, the horse's overall movement and comfort? Or when do you decide if whatever you're working with is progressing the soundness? So if I'm referred a horse that's been chronically lame, let's say, you know, define chronic, chronic lameness as anything that's over, you know, three to six months, at least I do, then I'm going to start with doing pre and post films for the first shoeing. And so that really helps me a lot. I do that because with x-rays, I can be absolutely certain about where I'm putting the point of breakover. And I can also really just precisely address issues of balance. I, I would say that we get a better result simply because we use that tool during the process instead of sort of wasting the horse's time and the, and the client's money by sort of guessing our way through for a few cycles. So I would say that that gets better results faster, even though it, it may cost a little bit more upfront. As far as when we start investigating other things, there are some things we start looking at right away, you know, usually the, the neck on a horse that has prolonged bilateral front foot pain, we start investigating that right away. But I I would say it's really something that comes down to what the vet and I are looking at, what's the horse that's in front of us. So I, I sort of use that as a rule of thumb, the first three shoeing cycles, I want to see some some pretty dramatic improvement that the lameness has been reduced or eliminated. But the vet and I are usually working as a team. So we sort of work together, bounce ideas back and forth and check on different things as we go. Yeah. And, you know, I, I know you've talked a bit about body work and your training in that. And um, I actually talked to uh, a body worker last week in England, and they can't work on horses without a veterinary referral. Like a vet has mm-hmm. to actually refer that body worker to a client to work on the horse. So do you ever have vets that will say, you know, that this horse needs body work or they think something is more soft tissue that can be worked out through that kind of uh, approach? I actually think that it's 
uh, that's a very good law. I, th I think in the United States, it's supposed to work that way as well. However, I have to say, I hear lots of stories of people calling a body worker and having that body worker come and work on the horse maybe five or six times. And then eventually they'll sort of get around to having a vet involved or they'll call me because they think that maybe I, I can do something for the horse. But I think that's that's sort of unethical if you think about it, because then the horse is not making progress. They're not getting the diagnostics they need. And, and you could be doing further damage by continuing to work a horse and just having body work. So body work can be helpful or it can be dangerous if it's done in an inappropriate way. So I, I've always tried to keep the horse first and be extremely principled about when and where I use body work. Do you, I know that you had mentioned uh, the negative angles and you, you notice hind end issues higher up. Um, and sure. then you were talking about caudal heel pain horses having neck issues. Do you find that you have certain pathologies that always have, you know, soft tissue issues that are correlating with it? Because I assume that that must sort of speed up the rehabilitation process if you're doing, you know, you're addressing the hoof issues or whatever might be going on in the distal limb, but also addressing the compensation issues higher up. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the goal is that we start by helping the feet. Usually when you get horses out of pain in their feet, that is going to really start to have a rebound effect all the way up the horse's limb and up into their body and then their apaxial skeleton. So their, their neck and their spine. The horses are really good at compensating, exceptionally good at it, which is sort of good and bad. So yeah, we have to work on those things in tandem. And the rehabilitation does go, I would say, more quickly because we do these things simultaneously. I really think that something like 80% of lameness is in the distal limb. So there are a lot of horses that are working and working pretty hard on feet that are very distorted and painful. But because horses can change their gait, change their stride length, you know, in the front end of the horse, they use the underside of their neck. So these brachiocephalicus is a muscle that just one of the muscles that they engage pretty rigorously if they have bilateral caudal heel pain. And so they can really cause a lot of irritation and pain in the muscles of their lower neck. And then eventually they can even, if it goes on long enough, develop things like osteoarthritis in their neck. So we check the cervical vertebrae to make sure that they're moving, to make sure that they aren't stuck in fixation or rotation. If you do that kind of body work along with removing that painful sensation from the front feet, you can really kind of unlock the front end of the horse. And it's it seems sort of amazing. Horses will start to move in a new way and the owner will say, wow, it's sort of like I have my horse back when he was five or six, even if it, you know, now we have a 17 year old horse that's still working pretty hard. So yeah, there's a synergy that's created with a whole horse approach. Yeah. And it's so interesting because listening to you talk about this, obviously I don't, I don't have any body work experience myself and it sounds like it's so important. And I agree to have like a great team of professionals that can 
approach this as an looking at the entire horse in a holistic way do you have any tips on building like as a professional building relationships with other professionals and working cohesively yeah you know I would say that the best thing that you can do when you're reaching out to another professional is listen more than you talk. (laughs) And this can be a hard thing for some people, but I think it's sort of, you know, these are some of the principles that you need to have good relationships in life, you know, and being honest about what your skill set is, what your interpretation is, being open to a different perspective letting other people proceed with their plan, what they would like to chase down first and try to fix. When you do that with other people, they tend to then be more open to your suggestions. And if you say, hey, I'd like to do this with the feet, what do you think? Or I'd like to try this, then they're, they're going to be more more open to listening to you and letting you lead and, and plan a little bit. But it's really just about being a good partner, showing up when you're when you say you're going to show up, following through, and also mastering your own craft. So um, it's my job to be educated and informed about the areas that I'm going to be working on. And um, I need to come through. I need to to deliver. So um, if I'm shoeing a horse, my horses need to get better. And if they're not getting better, I need to be open about that and go right back to the vet or maybe pull in someone else that can help. I think it's about being committed to not being right, but about getting it right for the horse. And when you approach it that way, you're you're going to do well. And I mean, I've been there too with my own personal horse, rehabbing him. And I know how stressful and nerve wracking it can be when your horse isn't 100% and you're trying to figure out the best way to help them. So do you have any kind of advice for owners who are in a situation with a horse that's struggling in rehab? Oh, yeah. You know, I think most of us, and I'm no different, you know, when when one of my personal horses is in pain, I have a hard time. And I'm much better at having a clear and clean sort of understanding about what I want to accomplish with other people's horses. You know, your emotional investment in your animal is profound. Most people consider their horse a family member. Uh, Some people I know have been in longer relationships with the horse they own than maybe their last marriage. So (laughs) this is... This is a a profoundly important relationship and owners are scared. They're hurting for their horse. You know, they want their beloved animal to feel better. So I would say if you don't like handholding or you're not, you're not open to a little bit of emotional support for your clients, then probably working in rehabilitation is not, you're going to, it's not going to be your cup of tea. I don't mind that. I understand it. And so I'm pretty open to talking through the emotional part with my clients. I'm okay with that. So I think it's important. You have to support the owner and and keep their spirits up that their horse is going to improve. And then also be there for them in the times that that horse is not going to get better and they have to make some difficult decisions. But I'm committed. I I consider that part of uh, my job. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I reached out to Katherine Lauritsen, a horse owner in California who worked with Anne to rehab her horse at home. 
Catherine's horse had a handful of issues, and I'll let her explain more about what was wrong and how they approached her rehab to soundness. One main takeaway is be your horse's advocate and don't be scared to ask questions. Tell me a little bit about your horse and what you were dealing with and how you met Anne. Okay. My horse has one of everything, and she is an extreme rescue. It turns out she has bad navicular, osteitis, and a tendency to get a negative palmar angle. And I brought in Anne. And so Anne was amazing because this was a horse that would have such bad days, like good days, bad days, that I was literally thinking I'd have to put her down. Like three-legged, hopping on one foot, can't turn. And Anne came in, and the first thing she wanted to do was another set of x-rays so that she could look at her coffin bone and the angles of the bone. And it turned out, yes, she was very NPA. So she took a very different approach from any farrier I've ever worked with, where we had that x-ray person right there. And she goes, okay, and she's very methodical, and she sat and she just looked and looked at it, and she goes, I know what to do. And... Then she got in with her assistant, Audra, and they did Eponas with dental impression material and used the glue in a way to get that coffin bone at about, I will I would say, one or two degrees. So we also took x-rays again, medial and lateral, to confirm that what she thought she was doing, she was doing. Because in her words, she's like, I don't want to land it without x-rays. <laughs> and so... She did, and we were all really happy. And so the funny thing was, we had done video work before, because I do video production, so we had done some shots of the horse before we did any corrections. And you can see her really bad in the turns. Like, she just did not look happy. And then we walked her off, and and at first she had to think about it. Like, my mare is very protective. And she had to, she was kind of like, wait a minute, you know, and you could see her just getting better and better. And within 13 minutes, she looked almost sound. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, we sent, apparently, Anne sent the video off to Monique at Epona. And she goes, I can't even use this. Like, no one's going to believe it. Like, it was <laughs> that level of good. <laughs> so I didn't believe it either. And I just kept taking videos. So it was like, one day later, she was even better. The next day, she was better. And she was really good for a good long time. But we did that x-ray and then go ahead and do some work and then x-ray again. Three shoeings in a row. So it wasn't a one-off. It was like three shoeings in a row. And she maintained her soundness. I, I cannot say enough about the way Anne approaches her work. I can't say enough about her level of caring. I mean, because she was texting me every few days, like, how is she doing? So I don't know if you had any comments on what it was like working through soundness with your horse, not at a rehab facility. I would do it totally different if I could turn back time. And in the beginning, what I did was I approached problems as it unfolded and as they happened. So it was, well, her feet look bad. So now all my focus are going to her feet. Well, it turns out the horse had so many different things wrong with her. If I could do it again, I think I might go at it as get a vet out and do everything. Like get all the blood work done now. Get all the, get, get all the x-rays on her feet, you know, get the x-rays done on her feet now. 
get your body workers now. Like, get everybody to weigh in and look at the whole horse as opposed to the problem, the miniature problem that you're seeing right now, because there's always something behind it. I spent a lot of money and a lot of years peeling back that onion and trying to figure out, and it really took me five years. I think if I had insisted, like took her to UC Davis and said, do everything, because she also tested positive for EPM, like 70% of horses do in America. If I had screened her kind of for everything, I could have dealt with everything at once, as opposed to now we're just looking at navicular. So anyway, long story short, to save money and to save in quotes time and effort and stuff, I really kind of only looked at what was in front of me that was a problem. And I think if I had done EPM testing first, Lyme disease first, you know, tested her for IR first, tested her for Cushing's now, like do all of it, like throw the whole thing at the horse and spend the money because you're going to spend it anyway. And if you have one of those really complicated horses like I do, you're going to spend it anyway if you keep the horse. And was there anything that you as an owner had to do, you know, any kind of daily care that was different because you were working with a lame horse? Yeah. Well, we did we did a lot of nutritional support. Boy, we did at one point TENS units. We did shockwave. We did the kind of ultrasound that an owner can do. I've done, I bought, you know, red lights and did that. I mean, I was doing stuff every single day at home. So Diane Isbell was the vet for the tendon. And she, she completely ruptured her tendon, which we regrew. <laughs> like wow. we grew it back. <laughs> but it was an everyday thing. So I was switching modalities every day. And my, my opinion on it was, well, I'm not riding. I just want to spend time with her anyway. So I'd go to the barn and, you know, one day we're doing red lights. And the next day we're doing the TENS unit. My thinking was some of these things aren't proven, but it doesn't matter to me because if one of them works 5%, then I'm 5% ahead. But I did a lot. And I did it at home because, yeah, there's no way I'm going to send that horse to Davis or to a rehab facility because of the money. In the end, you're going to probably be doing a lot of what they do at the hospitals. You're going to hand walk. You know, you're going to, if you could, if they do cold therapy, you can do cold therapy. There's a lot you can do. And, and, and don't forget about time. Time is one of the greatest healers. You can absolutely do it. And you know what? I have one more thing I could add. And that is, if you're going to be your horse's advocate, which you are, and if you care enough, get online and do the research. And don't be afraid to ask your vet or your farrier questions. Because what I found going through the wormhole, and believe me, it's a wormhole, is vets have different opinions and farriers have different opinions. And in the end, it's going to be you that makes the decision. So you're going to have to be educated about that decision. And don't stop. Just keep going. Keep going. I always say that I'm slightly more hoof obsessed than the average person. And chances are, if you're listening to a hoof care podcast, you are too. So we should probably be friends. Feel free to find me on Facebook or email me at thehumblehoof at gmail.com.